theme for today is the repentance of God. And it's the second uh, part of Pastor Albert's um, message, From Lost to Life. And the Bible passage is from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large, a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi, Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now over to the tech team and Pastor Albert for his message. Yeah, hey there, Good Shepherd. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. How many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Um, I asked you that question last week, do you know the answer? I found another answer, there used to be an answer. Um, it was a shrug of the shoulders, change, what's what change what uh, but what about this we read that we are to so fear and love God that we cannot by our own effort or understanding comprehend the replacement of an electromagnetic photon source it is rather by faith not by our own efforts affected toward the failed worldly incandescence that we truly see and that our own works cannot fully justify us in the presence of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, of course it is still dark. Didn't get that last bit, but um, I think you get the sense of it. Hello. Welcome to part two of the repentance of God. I mentioned last week uh, to those of you who were there that I came to Good Shepherd about 23 years ago and it was you people who inspired me so because you were doing a whole conference thing on change and um, how Lutherans can change and uh, um, it, it changed our lives and uh, it changed the direction of um, my work and again, 23 years later, I'm back. So this is week number two. What I do remember about uh, being at Good Shepherd 23 years ago was, amongst other things, your chairperson at the time standing up and um, talking about a washing machine analogy um, for change at Paravista Good Shepherd at that time uh, and how all of the confusion and the turmoil as the entire Q 
community kept spinning around um, in this process of change. Uh, upwards, downwards, sideways, inside out, all over the place. I don't know, do any of you remember that particular speech uh, or sharing? I do. Um, I also remember the comment about how every now and again in that uh, spin cycle in the washing machine analogy, like a little sock would poke its head up and gasp for breath and then all of a sudden in the mix of everything it would dra was dragged back down into um, into the washing machine. And I don't know who the sock was supposed to represent, um, but I do remember that analogy and I thought it was great. I mean, isn't that what change does to human beings in life, no matter what it is that we're talking about, let alone our spiritual lives? Um, I certainly hope that the socks survived. For those of you who were unable to be a good shepherd last Sunday morning, we began a bit of a sermon series that I've cheekily entitled The Repentance of God. The repentance of God, you heard right. While repentance is rarely understood to be an action that God does, I say poppycock! If repentance is about change of mind and change of heart, and if we can't say that God has never had a change of mind and change of heart, then at the very least, you must agree with me that his story has his story, the one in and through which we understand who God is and how he operates in the world, um, has had plenty of changes of heart and changes of mind. That's the repentance of God. And hey, that's the gospel. So there. The story of Jesus entering into the world. It's an event that we once again prepare for through the season of Advent. So, happy first Sunday of Advent, everyone. But that's the event, the one where he initiates through his birth and then his life and then his ministry um, a mind-bending heart bending, spirit-bending series of changes. And in this series, I suppose I'm wanting to jump all over the second chapter of Mark where this all begins to happen. And uh, in particular, to highlight just three of the changes that Jesus brought into the world uh, through his incarnation, um, that which we prepare for through Advent. So anyway, last week I introduced them as three big, fat elephants in the room. That is, in the room that Jesus had come to redecorate with a new sense of how we human beings might be able to relate to God. In one chapter, 
three elephants rear their ugly heads and Jesus gets ready to chop them clean off. Sounds like a horror movie. It's because it is. Elephant number one. Everyone must always be sticking to God's rules. Elephant number two. Some people will never be good enough, no matter what, for God. And elephant number three, the guilt of not being good enough defines you forever. And we talked about the amazing shift, the change from guilt to grace last week. This week, I say to you again, if Jesus, in the end, ultimately is successful in dealing with the elephants in the room, those of us called to Good Shepherd this morning might again be able to celebrate the repentance of God. From guilt to grace, from lost to life, from law to love. Today's message, from lost to life. I wonder what you guys think of when you hear the term lost. I mean, spiritually, it's quite a negative term, isn't it? There's us, and then there's the lost. And we can kind of make it about us and them. Um, there seems to be like a, a gap between who we are and I guess whoever it is we decide they are. We Christians love to talk about the lost and we even feel sorry for them. I mean, it's not that we want to judge people who are lost. It's just that we really never seeing them a relationship with God the way in which we have a relationship with God. And they will never know the power of grace and forgiveness the way we know grace and forgiveness. And it seems like no matter what they do in life, um, it's never for the right reason. And so there's always a reason for us to find judgment and prejudice against those who wear that term, the lost. If only they could have God in their lives in the same way as we have God in our lives. It's like we are all children of God, but some sheep are just cleaner and more unblemished and white as snow to use a scriptural term and some other sheep are not they don't kind of fit in the family in the same way as we do but in Mark chapter 2 uh oh uh, Jesus has just knocked the first elephant clean across the room He's even found a way to push this first elephant right out the door. 
the elephant that uh, is the guilt of not being good enough has been dealt with. The whole experience of Jesus and the paralyzed man has stunned those who have been witness to it, not the least of those seeing Jesus through the lens of religion. But now Jesus is back, and as best as I can tell, it's even very much the very same day. And now he's down by the lake hanging out with a bunch of disciples and all of those who are really good, fine, upstanding, perfect people. Yeah? No. He's not. He's down by the side of the lake, chin-wagging with a tax collector. But here's the thing, right? It's not just that Jesus is chin-wagging. You know how some people can be just so social? No matter who they're talking with, Jesus is doing that right here. But now he says, Hey, Levi, tax collector, follow me. And now the chin-wagging moves to something different. And Jesus takes him somewhere, which I think is central to the repentance of God. He takes him to his house, to Levi's house, to the house of a tax collector, the home of a tax collector, the premises upon which pure sin presides. One only needs to have a small sense of the difference between what in Jesus' day was classed as clean and unclean to realise that this house that Jesus had led Levi was dirty. In the very same way that the priest and the Levite could not touch a bleeding man on the side of the road, there was to be no Messiah-like wannabe who could dare find himself in the home of a tax collector, of a sinner, let alone in the home of a sinner having dinner, let alone in the home of a sinner having dinner with more sinners. Just think about it. Just think about how Jesus is flipping everything on its head right here. He is nuts. He is crazy. <laughs> Last week it was asked, you know, why does this man talk this way? You know, Jesus said the word forgiveness. You are forgiven. Why does he talk this way? And today, how about we just recognize that what is being asked about Jesus is why does this man walk this way? 
where is he going? Why does he place himself in this situation? How dare he use the name of God? And sit at a table reclined with these people. I work at Cornerstone in the Adelaide Hills five days a week. It's a pretty dirty place. It's not like Good Shepherd. Your place of worship looks clean and sprightly. Your congregation looks clean and sprightly and will include some of the very best, most cleanest and sprightliest Lutherans going around. You could literally eat off some of the Lutherans at Good Shepherd. I kid, of course. I trust that in every way that the power of the Holy Spirit is alive and well at Good Shepherd. Not so at Cornerstone. The Holy Spirit isn't quite as present at Cornerstone, if you know what I mean. 850 teachers and another 150 staff. It's like a zoo. And it is about as clean as Noah's Ark after about 20 days in the flood. And that doesn't even include some of the stuff that comes out of these kids' mouths. And after nine years of working as a glorified zookeeper, I have to say to you, there is something very special about the context in which we do ministry here. Most especially, it's the reality that spirituality, I have no right to demand anything of those I minister to. I have no rights in this place, except to love each of those who enter these gates every day, unconditionally, without prejudice, without judgment. It has taken me a little while come to terms with this, but I have to meet them where they are at. I cannot begin with me. I cannot begin with my faith, and I certainly cannot begin with my belief systems, my spirituality, or my ritualized way of relating to God. If I did, I think they would crucify me. Cornerstone College is, in fact, a very beautiful place. Come visit sometime. But if it's spiritually dirty, then my gut leads me to want to get into the mud without condition, without prejudice. So I work at Cornerstone College in the Adelaide Hills, pretty much full time. And here's the thing. Pretty dirty place. The Holy Spirit isn't quite as present at Cornerstone as it is at Good Shepherd, if you know what I mean. 850 teenagers, 150 staff, it's like a zoo, and it's about as clean as Noah's Ark, about 20 days into the flood. And that doesn't even include some of the stuff 
that comes out of their mouths. After nine years working as a glorified zookeeper, there is something so very special, though, about the context in which I'm called to do ministry. And most especially, it's the reality that spiritually I have no rights to demand anything of those I minister to. I have no rights in this place except to love each of them unconditionally, without prejudice, without judgment. It has taken me a little while to come to terms with this, but I have to meet them where they are at. I cannot begin with me. I cannot begin with my faith, and I certainly cannot begin with my belief systems, my spirituality, or my ritualized way of relating to God. I think if I did, they'd probably crucify me. Cornerstone College is, in fact, a very beautiful place. Come visit sometime. But if it's spiritually dirty, then my gut leads me to get into the mud, without condition, without prejudice. Because here's the thing, it's the repentance of God is about how God himself is prepared to get muddy. This Advent, we prepare not for a clean stable, not for some clean shepherds, not for the clean beasts. This Advent we prepare for the icky stable, the icky shepherds, the icky beasts that share an icky stable with a very holy family. Clean meets unclean head on. Boom! And Jesus is born into the dirt and into the mud. And as we prepare, we realize something extraordinary, that each of us, no matter how clean our church, how clean our congregation, or how clean our lives may seem, that we ourselves are nothing more than mud crabs. And that's okay. We dwell in the mud. But Jesus made his dwelling among us, and here he comes again, trudging in his big wellies to give us new life. And in Mark chapter 2, Jesus gets into it with a bunch of mud crabs all around a table, those seen as the muddiest souls in the community. And here's the thing, for the religious of his day, this mud would stick to Jesus in a way that when it was all over... It would run out of his veins and onto a cross and into a cup. This is your cup. This is your table. This is your house. This is your home. Here in Mark 2, another elephant lays dead. They say that some people will never be good enough for God. 
But Jesus says, Poppycock, from lost to life, you are black sheep, but picked up by the good shepherd and carried home in loving arms. Amen.